So you guys wouldn't know this, but um, about 30 minutes ago, we were a big hot mess in here. Um, our screens weren't working. We, we couldn't figure out the order of songs and all of this stuff, but, but uh, these guys just battled through, and, and I just I can't say enough how, how much it means just to the kingdom of God uh, to battle through sometimes. Uh, it's so important, and, and there was no panic, and yet we were just going we to go with what we got today, uh, but it, it, you, guys, you guys are, uh, are blessed by an amazing group of, of uh, worshipers. Um, you all know that vision is, is critical, right? Vision inspires, but only when it's acted upon will vision ever become a reality. I can, I can remember uh, a number of years ago when God, he just planted this seed of, of this thing right here, right in front of us. And I didn't, I didn't really even have the picture of it. He just said, I, I want you to plant a church. And I didn't know what that meant, right? I didn't actually have vision, but it was, it was starting to grow. And, and to be honest with you, I wasn't really looking for it. I wasn't even all that excited about it because I knew that it would come with a cost. I knew that it would come with, with a sacrifice of leaving, leaving something that I, I loved so much. I was pastoring over at Jack's Naz, and I loved every moment of that. And I knew eventually I was going to have to be called out of that place that I loved. And so I wasn't necessarily looking for this. And, and yet it kept growing, and it kept growing. This vision kept growing. And, and eventually I knew that I had to, to actually go from just thinking and feeling to voicing it. And so I, I almost was even leaning on my wife and my kids who didn't know at the time what was happening in my heart and in my head. I was almost leaning on them in hopes that they wouldn't be on board at all that they could be my excuse. They could be my reason for not stepping out in faith. But, of course, that wasn't the case. They were almost excited about it as well, and it just kept growing. And then there was a moment. This was, this was the moment after we went public at Jack's Naz, and, and there was money that was being raised, and people were People were wanting to support this thing, and I can remember standing at the back of the sanctuary, looking out over this church that I, that I loved so much, and I thought to myself, there is no turning back. For the first time in my life, I, I felt this moment of, I don't know if you would call it anxiety, because I don't get anxious for stuff. And I w wasn't in a panic, but there was this moment where I almost felt trapped, like, like, I can't go back. It's too late to go back. And, and so I just, I felt like in that moment, all right, I had already made this resolution in my heart. It's time to step into it. And so that's what I did. There, there was something similar that happened in Jesus' life, too. There were all of these things that he had been doing. He, he, he was obviously preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He was preaching the, the love of God. He was preaching this, 
this, this transformative message that would actually be accompanied by, by power. It would be accompanied by miracles. It would be accompanied by amazing moments of great healing. But, but that actually isn't why Jesus came. That, those were all amazing things. All of those were, were just powerful things that would inspire people. But it wasn't the reality to the vision he actually came to fulfill. It says in, in Luke 9.51, I don't know why that says John, but it's, it's actually in Luke 9.51 where it says, when the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. That changed everything. Just prior to this moment, <clears throat> Jesus had had this, this moment where, where uh, they call it the Mount of Transfiguration. I don't know how many of you are uh, familiar with that, but it was this moment where Jesus and a few of his disciples, they went up onto this mountain, and, and it was almost as if, we don't, we don't say this definitively, but it was almost as if this moment was the moment that, that God transformed him from like the, the, the things that he came to do in the flesh and the things that he came to fulfill in the spirit. It was this moment they call the, the moment of transfiguration. And, and Jesus had this radiance that came upon him, this, this glow of heaven. It's the moment that God established him and said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And they, they all walked out of that moment down the mountain, and they all had this glow about them, particularly Jesus. And, and moving forward from that, everything changed. And, and as, he, as he said, it, the time came for, we had a little accident up here, that's why everybody's leaving. <laughs> um, not to point that out, <laughs> Sophia. But ultimately, we're okay. The moment came where the things that Jesus was doing that were good were overshadowed now by the, the intention that he came, the, the fulfilling of this moment. He, he gave a resolution. Like, this is now the time. There's no turning back from here. Like, and, and he... He sent messengers on ahead of him who would go into a Samaritan village. Now, the thing about this Samaritan village is it's, it's this state of Samaria, which we don't know about Samaria, is, is there was so much hostility between the rest of the surrounding states of, of Israel and Samaria. Samaria was this, this place that, that was heavily impacted by the exile, and, and they would actually establish relations with the, the pagan people that would overcome them. You know, the rest of the Jewish population, they would, they would at all cost resist any sort of, of, of connection with this hostile force that came over them. But, but the people that were reestablished in Samaria, they actually they, they intermarried with this pagan culture. 
they actually adopted some of the, the pagan religion into their religion. And so, yes, God was still very much a part of their life, but also were these other gods. And so the, the rest of the Jewish population, they looked at them with great hostility. They looked at them with, with extreme prejudice. In fact, because they intermarried, there was also racial issues that took place. And so the Jewish population wouldn't be caught dead stepping foot into Samaria. And yet this is the one place that Jesus did. He sent his messengers on ahead into a Samaritan village. And so they went. And it says they went into the Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there, they did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. And when the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? And the Lord rebuked them. Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then they went to another town. You see, that's, that's the basis, the foundation of, of their view of this people group. That, that it would be in God's will, it would be in service to God that they would actually desire to call down heaven for rejecting them, to call down fire from heaven for rejecting them. And, and the Samaritan people, they also had this, this view of this prejudice, which is why they rejected Jesus and his disciples. So there was a whole lot of hostility on both ends. You see, the time now has come for Jesus to teach these people to look beyond the cross, to look beyond the thing that we see here and now, to actually gain a greater resolution, a higher resolution. You see, we look at, we look at resolutions as this thing that we do about, what, January 1, about uh, I don't know, February 29 on leap year or March 1st, most of those resolutions go by the wayside, don't they? But we also can look at the word resolution as a way to see more clearly. I have terrible, terrible internet at my house. They promise me uh, that I'm supposed to get like 12 to 13 megabytes per second. I think I get like four. And so we are constantly looking at this stupid thing going around and around and around, waiting for this, this high-def picture to come through, and it just doesn't. We suffer. We suffer greatly at our house. It's terrible. You guys don't understand my pain. But they were walking into Samaria, and they didn't quite understand that, that higher, more clear picture yet that Jesus was trying to teach them. And so he, he decided to take them through the one place, the last place they thought they needed to go. We've been talking a little bit. I don't know if you've seen uh, any, of, in, uh, any of our promo stuff, but we've, we've used the word climb quite a bit. And that's, that's done with, with intention. One reason is climbing things it's not always easy is it climbing a mountain is 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 difficult 
it takes resolution to climb. It takes a, a will to, to get up to the, the summit of this mountain. But we've also used this word climb because in that day, because Samaria was, was to the north of Jerusalem, and, and there were states that, that didn't have those same quote-unquote uh, pagan issues that Samaria had, and they couldn't be, be caught dead in the same space as these pagans, and so they would literally walk around. They would go straight to the east and then walk down into the Jordan Valley, which is, it starts at about sea level, and it goes all the way down to about 1,000 feet below sea level and ends at the Dead Sea, which is the lowest place on the planet. And so they would walk out of their way Many, many hundreds, or about 100 miles, they would walk out of their way to walk down into this valley to circumnavigate, to go around this state of Samaria. And then when they turned in, they would start making a climb up to Jerusalem. And, and it's a very real picture for, for resolution. Many of the Psalms actually are songs that they would sing as they would make this journey, this pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year for uh, um, the Passover feast, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, which would launch this Passover week. And, and they would sing songs. We call them songs of ascent. Because as they made that turn and they started climbing, making that climb, they would start singing these praises to God. They would start singing and lifting their voices to bring glory to God in joy because they're about to be atoned for their sin for the, for the last year, and they'll be made right with God again. And so when Jesus marched them through Samaria, that's the last place they would want to go, the last place they would expect to go. But the resolution is changing. The resolution now is to go to that place where you know I would be rejected. And he, he leads them to this. It says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, God, I will follow you anywhere. Anywhere, wherever you go, I will follow you. How does that sound in comparison to our resolutions each year? About November, December, we start, you know, looking at that scale and we're like, okay, this is not good. It's time for me to make a change. It's time for me to to, to be resolute in this whatever. There, you could fill in the blank. We make resolutions all the time. That's what this guy is doing. I will follow you wherever you go. There's nothing that will keep me from following you. But Jesus replied, as we just experienced, foxes have holes and, and birds of the air, they have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Meaning you don't quite understand the resolution that this is going to take to follow me where we're going. Ultimately, many of us, we still don't really understand the resolution it takes to go where Jesus is calling us to go. Do we really understand where Jesus is asking us to follow him to? It's to the cross. It's, it's to the cross so that we could lay our lives down as well, so that we could have that clearer picture of what heaven is, 
of what life beyond the cross is so that we can, we can bring heaven back so that heaven would come. May your will be done. May, king, may your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's us. That's, that's the resolution we're meant to have. That's the way in which we're supposed to see this world. And Jesus tells us right from the beginning, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another man, but you can still follow me. The invitation is still for you because I'm here to tell you what's on the other side of this cross is worth all of it. It's worth everything. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Now you would think that's a reasonable request, right? Of course. God doesn't care that we have our, our moments to, to mourn the loss of our loved ones, to, to take the time to honor them in celebration. Of course that's true, but that's not what this guy is getting at. In the original language, what he actually means is, my dad's not even dead yet, <laughs> and he wants his inheritance. Let me wait for my dad to pass. Let me wait for me to get what's rightfully mine. Let me wait for me to, um, to receive what's coming to me so that I can be set up and ready, and then I can follow you, because then I'll be prepared. Then I'll be equipped. Then I'll have what I need, and we can actually maybe pay for some lodging along the way. And Jesus rebukes him, and he says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom, the kingdom that rests on the other side of that cross. Another man comes, says, I will follow you, Lord. Resolution. I will follow you. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Of course, Jesus wouldn't care if you go back and say goodbye. If, if you were going on a long journey because God wanted you to go on a mission trip or something like that, of course you're going to go say goodbye to your family. But in the original language, that's not what that means. What he's suggesting is that let me go and get my things in order. Let me go and make sure that everything is set up so that when I come back, it will be prepared and ready for me. Essentially, what he's saying is, I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready yet. I've, I've, not, I've not made the arrangements in my heart yet to go where you're asking me to go. And I still think, you know, one day I'll get there. One day I'll be able to be there. One day I'll be ready in my heart to go where you're asking me to go. But I'm not there. And I think for most of us, we don't quite even have that understanding that that's where our hearts are at. As we, we trust in the Lord, we trust in his goodness, we trust in his mercy, we, we of course we trust in his salvation, but, but do we trust in him enough to go where he is asking us to go? Because I'm here to tell you that freedom that we talk about, that's on the other side of that cross. It's on the other side of laying our life down, of actually picking up our cross and carrying it to that same hill of Calvary. 
Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now this seems kind of difficult. This seems really hard. What he's actually saying is he's, he's relaying back to an old story, which I'll pick up in a minute. Essentially, he's, he's suggesting, you know, these resolutions that, that we're so good at? This guy who's saying, God, I will follow you anywhere. Jesus gives, or um, Peter gives Jesus all kinds of resolutions throughout his, his time with him before the Holy Spirit comes. God, I will never deny you. I would never tell, tell anybody that I don't love you with all of my heart. And yet, resolution fail. Peter denies Jesus three times. He's saying, your life is this plow. You put your hand to the plow and you, you cast it aside saying, this is my old life and I'm laying it down because what I want is where Jesus is going. I know I want my Lord. I know I want my Savior and I will go wherever he's asking me to go, but I have to let go of this, this plow. This plow is my livelihood. This plow is my it's, it's my. Um, my wealth, it's, it's my sustenance, it's my provision, it gives me everything. And Jesus says, you can cast that off and follow me, but anyone who looks back at their life and says, you know, I kind of liked it when I could eat whenever I wanted. I kind of liked it when I could uh, not have to think about stepping on the scale. I kind of liked it when I didn't have to go to that bottom drawer where, where all the, the produce is and I could just go to my pantry and open up all that processed food. I liked it when it was easy for me to just not even be concerned about what I watched on TV or what I looked at on the computer after my family goes to bed. The life that we are getting rid of, the life that we are setting aside is the life that, that we're supposed to, to, to die to in order to see beyond the cross in this clear resolution so that we understand that freedom comes in a death to self. Loving Jesus with all of our heart comes with a death to self. Loving others with everything we have, comes through a death to self. It's all in this higher resolution beyond the cross. That harkens back to a story in 1 Kings. And Elijah was the chief prophet of the day. He was the one that, that was in charge of kind of uh, the, the mentoring of those prophets to come up. And, and he, would, he would have one, one I suppose, mentor, mentee that he would, he would really instill all of the, the ways of hearing God and listening to God, of consecrating your life to God so that, that God's word could literally come through you and all of those around you would respect that as truth. And he, it was time for him to, to kind of find that next one. And he goes to a man named Elisha. And Elisha was actually out plowing his fields, tending a, a, a pair of oxen, it says. The, the, his family was pretty well off. They actually had 12 yoke of oxen, and um, he was tending one. And it came time for, for Elijah to come to him, and he took his cloak, which represents like 
I'm handing this thing over to you. Almost an anointing, saying, you're not quite there yet, but I'm anointing you. This is what God is going to do to you. The same power that he has given me, the same ability to hear his word, to, to instill this word into the community, into the nation of Israel, that's coming on you. And he was literally in the moment of plowing. And scripture says that, that he left him and he went back and he took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. And then he burnt the plow so that there is no going back. There is no way that I can go back to this old life and pick up all of these things that I used to love, that I used to adore, that I, that I used to put so much value in for my identity, for my strength, for my happiness. And he's saying, I'm letting go of it all because I trust that what God has for me moving forward is so much better. And he burns his plow. And then he set out to follow Elijah. I think, I think that's the picture that God wants us to see here. Because ultimately, what we, what we understand is that, that right after this moment, after this conversation, Jesus takes 70 disciples, 70 people that are following him, 70 people that have set out to say, I am, I am resolutely setting my face to wherever this man is going. And in this case, it's Jerusalem. And then Jesus, he anoints them with authority. He anoints them with power. You see, prior to that, they came back, they were rejected. They're still going through Samaria. They're still marching through this place that has great hostility towards them, that they actually have great hostility back towards. And they return and tell Jesus, even the demons submit to us. Even the demons shudder now when we come into this space. Because we have set our hearts to Jerusalem. It's interesting, there's a, a storyline to follow as they are in Samaria, as they are talking to these men. One of the, the Pharisees who, who may have had a course correction in his life. Maybe this Pharisee that was so hostile to the Samaritans. Maybe this Pharisee that was so hostile once even to Jesus and his followers now is starting to see things for the way that they actually are. And so he asks, he asks Jesus, he says, um, what must I do to enter heaven? And, uh, and Jesus says, well, what is written in the law? He replied, well, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And then love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, well, he, or the Pharisee says, well, who is my neighbor? Sometimes I think for us, we have to, we have to actually ask that question 
who, who is the one that I'm going to love today and who's the one that I'm going to reject today? Who's the one that I'm going to walk past on the street? Who's, who's the one that, that needs some attention, some affection, some, some support? Who, who is my neighbor? Who is the one that I'm willing to, to show how much I love God? Because with resolve, with a much clearer picture, I can see that my love of God, it actually reflects in how I love not just those that are lovable, not just those that, that work in my circle, not just those that, that understand my philosophy of life, but those that are counter, those that are against and opposed to me. And he goes on to, to give us the story. He says, a man, down from, uh, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of clothes beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. My religion is, is more important than giving this person care. So he, he goes around, similar to that road around Samaria. He goes around this man. I can't even be close to him. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by also on the other side. A Levite was, was one that would actually be installed as a priest in, in that day, a, a priest that would oversee the temple or oversee a synagogue. And even in their purest form, with, with all the greatest intentions, we all sign up with the greatest intentions, don't we? Even politics, everybody starts in politics with the, the greatest intentions. So we're grabbing somebody, even in the purest form, but this tradition is so deep that he walks by on the other side. This prejudice is so deep. This anger, this bitterness, it's so deep. I can't seem to just go where I need to go. Even if, the, if I have the greatest resolution in the world, I still, I fall into the trenches of, of this thick hatred. And then he says, But a Samaritan, as he traveled where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil, and then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. Gave him shelter. And the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. And said, I'm going to even go far beyond what's expected of me. And I'm going I'm to I'm empower you and give you what you need to even care for this man beyond my ability so that he could take care of him and give him everything he needs. And then he says, if it costs you more than these two silver coins, put it on me. I'll come back and I'll pay that debt. See, we are being called to step beyond the cross. It's easy for us to see the world in the here and now, isn't it? It's easy for us to, to see the, 
the, the things, the trials, the struggles that we have. It's easy for us to see the, the trials and struggles of those nearest to us, and we think, well, where is God? God is in you. God is supposed to show up for our neighbor. A friend of mine just recently told me the strength of each of us is in the church. It's meant for all of us to stand up and go into Samaria. Go into the place that, that might not even accept you. Go into the place that might reject you. Because seeing beyond the cross is seeing with freedom. It's seeing with, with resolve in your heart. It's being able to step into those resolutions we make with power. With the equipping. We may not have it the moment we step in, but Jesus promises us that I will give it to you the second you need it. I will give you everything you need but it's on the other side of that cross. Your kingdom come, Lord. Your kingdom come right here through each of us. And as we continue that march to the cross, as we enter into the Lenten season and we walk towards Good Friday, the moment that Jesus lays his life down, nobody took his life from him. Don't think of it as murder. It looks like murder from the world's perspective. He says, no man takes my life from me. That's freedom. I lay it down with my own accord, which means I have nothing but his love to give to you. No holding back. No looking back. No looking back at those things that... that were seemingly satisfying us and yet left us starving the very next day. Now everything we need is beyond the cross. Father God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for every good thing that you have for each of us. I thank you for every call that you have put on our lives, the, the, the moments that we step into something and say, Lord, there is no turning back. There's no looking back. There's no reason in it because where I'm going is better. What I'm to experience after the cross is better. What I'm to share after the cross is better because it's actual nourishment. It's actual freedom. It's actual power. It's actual spirit of God. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you are. Thank you for marching us with resolution to that cross. We love you so much. Lord, I pray for that those in this room here today that may not fully understand what Jesus is even about. What he came to do, that he came to die for them. Lord, if they don't understand that, I pray that in this moment that you would give them a clearer picture, a higher resolution, 
That this life here prior to the cross is meaningless. And although we don't want to come and say life is worthless because it's so beautiful, Lord, it is without power, it is without spirit, it is without freedom, and without any of those, Lord, we cannot see clearly. And so I pray, Lord, that you would touch people here today. And if there's any in this room that says today is the day that I want to set out for Jerusalem, that you would give them the courage, God, the faith in this moment to to just take that first step that says, Lord, I don't even know who you are yet, but I believe in you. I don't know why I would even say this, but I trust in you. That the thing you have for me, even though I can't see it in the here and now, is truth. And it's real. And it is for all of us. It is for me today. God, would you walk them into that family of faith? Would you walk them into the church? Would you walk them into the kingdom of heaven in this moment right there, right now? Jesus, we thank you. And we love you. Amen. If there are any of you who have made that decision to just take that first step, I would encourage you to to see me after or or find one of us up here. We would love to pray with you. We would love to, to help you understand a little bit more what it means to see clearly, what it means to to experience and encounter God. We want to walk this journey with you. We are here to walk this with you. Because God loves you, and because he loves you, we love you.